I don't know that Isaiah was a lawyer when he was called to be prophet before God, but he certainly lays out the case against not only Israel, but also against all the other nations around. He has a fine-tuned case against all the people. Doesn't matter where they come from, honestly, they ought to know the Lord. And by every evidence around from the beginning of his text until we get all the way down here to, to chapter 65, the case continues to build. And it's a strong case. All the way back to the very beginning, as he sets out his case, he starts with Israel. And he shows them point by point how the covenant has gone in one ear and right out the other. But his condemnation of their forgetting the poor, of their disregarding widows, of the ways that they have lost sight of compassion, of their leaning on the scales at the marketplace so that a few more shekels might land in their purse, of stealing away the garments of the poor for the sake of demonstrating that the poor will pay them back. In the midst of setting forth his case, he also sets forth God's answer. Emmanuel. We love those promises. They fill our Christmas season and fill our songs and carols during the time. But it is also God's intervention in a very, very needed situation. A world that needs God to come and set it right. God with us. But Isaiah doesn't stop with, with Israel and Judah. Oh no, he goes all around, a, a kind of a circuit all around the entire globe to see all the ways that the people are demonstrating their brokenness, their fallenness. All the things that they should have known better about. Do I have to tell you to stop killing each other? Do I have to say, stop stealing from one another? Do I have to write it all down for you? Do I have to carve it in stones with large numbers? Isn't it obvious what is right? And so he makes his circuit among all the nations. This world is broken. And it's been broken for a good long time. I was, I was surprised to find, as I was reading through the Bible for the first time, that the same problem is there before the flood as after the flood. <laughs> Nothing changed. God says, I'm going to send my judgment on the world because every inclination from the very depths of man is for evil. 
and the flood comes. And so you're kind of expecting on the other side of all of that intervention, all of that God comingness in all of this water, that there's going to be some change. And you get to chapter 8, and the water recedes, and the people come out, and God says, every inclination of the heart of man from the very depths is towards evil. Nothing's changed. And you expect by the time you get to Isaiah's end that Something will have changed. All these chapters of prophecy from God's vision to Isaiah before the exile, from God's vision to Isaiah for the people during the exile, to God's vision to Isaiah for even the, the time now as they've come back. And what's the word? What's the word from the Lord? You are unclean. Still. You are still unclean. You keep doing the same old, same old. And there's a, there's a remnant here in the, in the midst of these chapters of Isaiah that's having a conversation with the Lord to call out to him, recognizing, yes, we are still an unclean people. In the midst of all kinds of uncleanness, we've been through so much with you, can't you come? Can't you come down? Just one chapter before our text here, the remnant calls out to God, rend the heavens. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And fix this bloody mess. Because it's going to take you, Lord. It's going to take you to fix it. And in the midst of all the possible apocalyptic visions of what that coming might look like, there is, there is this thread all the way through Isaiah's vision. A child. A servant. Oh, there's going to be a coming. And the world is going to be changed. And the people, the people are going to be changed. There is going to be a setting aside of the uncleanness and a restoration to holiness. But it is not going to come in the midst of that kind of a flood. It's not going to come in that kind of of a rushing, rushing storm. It's not going to come in that kind of a fire. It's going to come in a still small voice, the voice of a child, the voice of a servant, the voice of Emmanuel. But it is going to be a transformative voice nonetheless. And it will, it will be a watery, watery grave for sin, death, the devil, for all the uncleanness. It will be a voice of fire that purifies, that takes the one who 
whose sacrifices on those cut stones, completely apart from God's command to stack those uncut stones into the altar of God. It's going to be a voice that cuts through the uncleanness of the mouth and purifies it with the hot coal. It's going to be the voice of the servant who comes. For the sake of my servant, I will not destroy them all. I will re-establish in the land my voice, my possession, my offspring of Judah, the fruitfulness again. All that was called by my name will be called by my name again, but we will begin with the one, the servant. The servant who goes into the unclean places, who touches the unclean thing, and is not soiled by it, but brings the kingdom of God, brings the restoration, brings heaven to earth, rends the heavens, and comes down. And in touching what is unclean, this one, this servant, this Emmanuel, this child of the Heavenly Father, this son, makes more servants. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there, making a new home for his people, a home restored, a home of peace, a home that is called clean again, a home where the word of God has free course, where the fire of the Holy Spirit of God purifies the people of God, where the servant's word does its work and is not, not squelched, where it goes out with a purpose and accomplishes it, and the servants of God dwell there. Is there water? Water to make this happen? Water to actually make this change? Paul thought so. By the time you get to this point in Isaiah, the separation between the nations seems to have just about completely disappeared. God's people have, have been so wrapped up in what it means to be one of the nations that can't even decide whether it's Israel or the Gentiles that Isaiah is even prophesying to. But you see, at this point, it doesn't matter. All are under Adam. All are under the servant, the one called by the Lord to do this work. And so as Paul reads this text with us in Galatians 2 as well, all are there. All are there, whether they are Jew or Greek, slave or free, man or woman, they are all clothed with the water of Christ, the water that makes the change. 
the water that provides the gift, the water that unites us to Christ, the water that calls us servants, heirs, inheritors of all that God delivers to his servant. The Father delivers to the Son, delivers to the sons. All of us inheritors, firstborn, double-portioned servants, so that we might dwell there. To dwell there in Christ, in that new land that Isaiah goes on to describe, that perfect place, that new creation, beginning again today by faith. This is the change of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the great coming down of the Lord, the great rending, the great restoring. And so just as we take up our mantles of service, just as we follow after the servant whom God himself appointed, just as we live in this blessed place of being in Christ, we rejoice that he has restored and made a place for us. Unclean people among unclean people called clean, called home. Amen. The peace of God that passes all human understanding Keep your hearts and minds in faith towards Christ Jesus. Amen. The hymn is hymn number 771. <laughs>